0: Uh, those two series that kind of helps me to know what I'm going to preach about on Sunday. And this week, I don't know what it was. I had a bunch of different ideas and thoughts, and I was going one direction, and and stuff just, I don't know, if you're a writer, I had writer's block. If you're a preacher, I don't know what you call that, but <laughs> just a little confused of what where the Lord was trying to drive the ship, I guess, or whatever you would call it. But I really felt like towards the beginning, and I'll just say it now, but the, my message is different. But um, you know, we, we live in a world that's uh, kind of messed up and has different ways of making decisions. And what, what, um, what do we use, I guess? How do we make decisions. And I was going to kind of go through some of the different ways that people will, you know, be influenced and in, in making the, in, not just every little single choice of the day, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, but um, a little bit bigger decisions than that. How do, we, how do we know what to do? What influences our life? And, and just encouraging you to, um focus on the Word of God and that the Word of God is our authority in in all things. Um, I don't like doing a lot of political stuff. I'll I'll preach, you know, one political message one of these days, probably when it gets closer to uh, November when we vote, but uh, I don't like to push politics. Just know what you believe and support the person that believes it closest to you. I have a little jaded history with politics. I get it more from my dad than my mom. My dad would say, when, before we go to vote, I need to talk to you so we line up. And if, if I'm voting for this person and you're voting for the other guy, I'm not gonna go vote because we just canceled our vote out. And So I grew up with this thought of like, does it really even matter what my vote says? Well, yeah, it, it does matter. Um, but that kind of got renewed when uh, we're only two states into our presidential primaries and all of our decisions are done. And it's like, who do we have to choose from? And so I'm on Facebook the other day and North Dakota's primary is next week. Oh, choose who you want to vote for. I, well, it's only like one candidate left <laughs> of who I can choose from. All the other ones have dropped out. So I, does it really matter if I go and vote? No, it doesn't really matter, but it does matter. It does matter. So vote. My wife would say, you need to voice your, your opinion. But anyway, that's all I'll say politically. Just kidding. Uh, in November, we'll talk some more. But, but um, that was my dilemma this week of like, how do you choose who you're going to vote for, what, what you're going to support, what movements you're going to, um, you know, protest for or support or push, what, um, what do you, how do you decide who you're going to talk to, how you're, what you're going to say, what you're going to teach, what you're going to do, how you're going to live your life, and, and we should base that primarily on the Word of God, and I've heard some people say, everything you ever need to know is in the Word of God, and I know that's not, it's not exactly clear, but you can get your principles and your values from it and then live your life according to it. So as I was kind of developing that message, it just wasn't coming together. And so I was like, I don't know what I'm going to preach on. What do I do? What do I say? And with men's retreat coming, that took up a couple of days of the week that I could have um, been cramming, but as I'm kind of, I'm, I'm just being your open pastor, and you know that I'm real, okay? <laughs> so um, as I'm going through these thoughts, who's a person in the Bible? I could, I could preach about a person in the Bible that did this, and we could follow that example. And uh, the biggest one, uh, there's several, obviously, there's several, but Daniel stands out as a man and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that took stands for God. And they uh, knew what they believed, and they were going to stick to that no matter what the culture said, no matter what their authorities said, no matter uh, what was happening in in their world, uh, and their world was pretty messed up too, uh, they were going to stand for the Lord. And they knew their faith was in Him. They put their faith in Him. And they said, we're going to do this, and there's nothing that's going to um, take us away from that. And so uh, I want to preach today from the entire book of Daniel for you in the next half hour, Uh, and we'll make it because we'll skip kind of the last half. But um, uh, Daniel is a very interesting book, probably the first few chapters uh, is where we're going to focus on, and it's mostly uh, very historic. And you know, this happened and this happened. Where the final uh, three or four chapters are very prophetic. Um, when you want to study the end times and Revelation, you you always go back to Daniel. Also, Daniel had visions and of the future and how the world would go. And um, so, when you study those uh, topics. You come back to Daniel, but before he got those and before the, God's favor was powerfully upon him, uh, it talks about how that came to be and how he, uh, why was he so favored by the Lord. Why did God use it? Why did God inspire him? And so we're going to learn about that today. So Heavenly Father, God, I love you, Lord. I thank you for uh, this message, this topic, and I pray that today you'd help us to study ourselves. Look at ourselves and see where we're at in our faith in you. Lord, in what areas do we need to take a solid stance for you? God, and we can stand up to the culture, uh, the way this world is going. Uh, we need you, and we need to stand for you, God. So help us today. Challenge our hearts to know um, the areas in which we need to uh, stand up for you, God. And then help us. Give us courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to Daniel 1. I think I have enough, I've told enough stories today and uh, politics. I had a story about uh, taking a stand for green bean casserole, but I don't know that we'll talk about that, but I'll just give you the quick story. As you're turning to Daniel, it's if you go to the middle of your Bible and into the right a little bit, it's past Psalms and Proverbs and before all the little prophets that you Um, We'll turn to, but Daniel is right after Ezekiel, and we'll start in Daniel 1. When we first got married, I love green bean casserole. Uh, My wife doesn't, but her mom uh, cooked it very well. And so one of our first fights as a married couple was uh, not just how to cook green bean. We knew how to cook green bean casserole, but the, the fight was over whether you put the lid on the dish while it's cooking or if you leave the lid off. And we had this spout. It wasn't like a knockout, dragout fight. But uh, we had this argument. And that day, I was really strong that I knew what I was doing. I can't even remember which side I was on, if I was right or wrong. Um, but anyway, our first fight as a married couple, I took a stand for, um, I think mine was you put the lid on. Is that right? Do you remember? You remember everything, so yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and hers, her stance was you leave it off. And anyway, it turns out you leave it off. And we've made it a hundreds times, and it's really good. So um, I don't take that stance anymore. But <laughs> but stand up for what is right. Daniel chapter one begins in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, and you guys would recognize his name, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure, put in the treasure house of his God. Basically, he was looking at Bethel Assembly of God in Carrington, North Dakota, and he was, man, these men right here. Anyway, we'll continue. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So a quick summary in case you didn't catch this. This is a very big story. Basically, Babylon was kind of northwest of uh, Israel and Judah, what we know as uh, most of where the the Bible took place, and the Holy Land of Jerusalem was there. And Nebuchadnezzar comes down from there, overtakes uh, Jerusalem, captures their king, and um, we could probably talk a little bit more. I didn't really study a whole lot, but he takes some of their relics or some of their um, articles from the temple of God. That's kind of an interesting thing to do that it's listed there later on. They, they use them, um, not in a God-honoring way. And uh, so it's interesting that it describes all the things that he took. But um, he, took the, he took the king, Uh, He takes over Israel, Judah are kind of in the same area, and his empire of Babylon enlarges to go south to include this Holy Land area. So now, in this moment and for the next 70 years, um, the Babylon empire is that whole section uh, to include Israel and Judah he orders his men to search out. So you, he takes over a country. Now you have all the people that are in that country. And so he gives orders, I want you to find the strongest men. I want you to find uh, you know, any of them that are from royal family and nobles. Um, they need to be young with no defects. I don't know what the defects they were looking for. Maybe a pudgy belly was a defect to them or, I don't know. But they had to be good-looking, intelligent in all wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning uh, knowledge, and then the ability to serve. And I wondered what what kind of test did these people uh, give to find out if this man was uh, intelligent in all wisdom and understanding? I don't don't know how they figured it out, but they gathered uh, a group of men and bring them back to the king. They would be taught... Babylonian education, uh, the literature, the language of the uh, Chaldeans. They would eat from the king's choice food and wine. And they would spend three years in this education with the thought that after these three years, uh, then they would be ready to serve the king. So basically, Nebuchadnezzar tells them, find the best men and indoctrinate them to be just like us. He tried to change the name of the country uh, to Babylon. He tried to change the language. And he even tries to change the names of those that he, uh, he captured. In verse 6, it says, Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, Azariah, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So what's funny to me, just as a pastor, we always remember Daniel as Daniel, not as his new name. But the other three we remember as their new name, not their um, Hebrew or Jewish name. Why? I don't know. We should respect them as their Jewish name, not their name that the king tried to change it to. But anyway, that's not even in my notes. But this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll, we'll talk about that second. But first, Daniel's first stance and the first to uh, gain an, our example from. In verse 8, It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel was strong in his faith, and we'll read about that. He followed the law of Moses given by God to all the Israelites And according to that law, they were not allowed uh, to eat certain foods, like the meat, they weren't allowed to eat pork. Um, And they weren't allowed to eat meat that was sacrificed to another god, an idol. Uh, When they say sacrifice, like the the Jews would sacrifice for their sins, uh, basically cooking the meat, uh, that they're sacrificing it. Uh, Some of it they would burn and, and not eat. Some of it they would eat. And so they were told you can't eat meat that had been prayed over and sacrificed to any other idol because basically you're taking that in to your life. Okay, So Babylon was a heathen nation. There was definitely pork on this menu of the king. And more than likely, uh, most of the food, sometimes at least, most of the time maybe, uh, that had been sacrificed to various Pagan idols. Daniel doesn't want anything to do with that. But notice the way in which he protested. He didn't throw a fit. Um, he didn't wipe off his table. I'm not going to eat of that. He didn't, uh, um, he, he, re, he didn't demand his own food. I deserve to be fed Jewish you know, food. But he respected those in authority over him, and he asked permission. 9, verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. When you take a stand for God, it's amazing when you consecrate your life to Him that He will bless it. He will bless you. He'll give you favor on those in authority over you or whatever you're uh, just generally speaking, He'll give you favor and a blessing when you uh, make these, this devotion to him. The official says, well, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, Nebuchadnezzar, basically, that if I tell him, well, there are certain people that don't want to eat your food and they're going to try to eat some vegetables and water instead. I'm, I'm afraid of him and what he could do. That's found in verse 10. So Daniel asks him, give us 10 days and, and test us. So he's talking about him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the official agrees it works, and they allow Daniel uh, and the others to eat only vegetables and water for those three years that they're going to be in that training, that education, okay? Check out what happens in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Really powerful. God is inspiring him. Uh, God is blessing them uh, for taking this stance. And uh, not defiling himself, they could have easily kind of bent to, oh, we were captured, so I have to do what our authorities tell me to do. Hey, we are to submit uh, to our authorities, but if it goes against our faith, if it goes against our beliefs, hey, we should take a stand. And in our world today, we're seeing that. We don't see it, a lot of persecution in this country. We have a lot of freedom, but we also we're seeing uh, the secular world coming into the church and beginning, you know, you're seeing the church and Christians kind of bend their belief system and... And we don't need to conform to those things. We need to take a stand. And when we do, God blesses that. And he he empowers Daniel with the ability to interpret dreams and the ability to see visions and, and interpret those. God still sends visions and dreams as a means to get a message to you. He wants you to understand the message. So he still empowers people through the Holy Spirit, through the gift of discernment, the gift of knowledge. There's other gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and 14. He gives visions and dreams, and he gives the ability uh, to understand what those mean. Sometimes if you have a dream uh, that's a little weird, um, it might be the pizza that you ate late at night the night before, but If it has some sort of meaning to it and you're confused, like, man, this is powerful and I I don't know what God is trying to say, pray about it. Ask him for an interpretation, an explanation. Uh, It may not come the first time. You may have a dream several times and you may wake up every time like, man, God, I really want to know what are you trying to say? help me understand it. Send someone to interpret it, okay? God still sends dreams and visions, and he still empowers those to interpret them. So the point is, when you devote your life to God and you take a stand for him, he will do miraculous things through you. Do not defile your heart, your soul, your mind. Guard uh, what is allowed to go into you. Daniel recognized that (laughs) Some of this food had been uh, blessed towards other gods, and him putting it in his body, he's welcoming that into his life. We don't do that necessarily today, but there's other uh, things that in this world, if, if we're putting it into our mind, if we're watching it, if we're reading it, if we're listening to a person or, or you know, music or whatever, those things are going in and they have wrong messages, and they're going to weaken our faith, and they're going to make us um, be defiled. Guard your heart, guard your mind, what you watch, what you read, what you listen to. We'll continue in verse 20. King Nebuchadnezzar sees the different types uh, of men that these four are, that they are ten times better than his wise men and his enchanters, and he, so he puts them into his service. In chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a troubling dream. Wow, Daniel was just blessed with the power to interpret dreams and visions. It's a long story and we're not gonna read the entire thing, but basically Nebuchadnezzar asks his wise men, his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, so your Bible will list those out. I'm just gonna call them. Uh, wise men to kind of make it go faster, but those guys that he brings in, they they can't do it. They're asking him, "Tell us what the dream is, and then I'll interpret it for you." And Nebuchadnezzar, no, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. He wants to know this is a very troubling dream, and uh, he gets very frustrated with them. Uh, they have this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It takes up a lot of the chapter, and. Nebuchadnezzar gets so upset, he makes a decree that all the wise men will be put to death because they can't figure out this dream. And yeah, you think we live in a messed up world, but uh, their world was just as sinful and evil and wicked. Verse 13, it says that men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends uh, in order to kill them, because they would be in this category of wise men. So when they go and they find Daniel, Daniel asks them, what is going on? Why are you threatening to kill? Why do, I, why do you want to kill me? And they explain to him uh, what happened with these certain wise men and how they couldn't uh, interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So Daniel uh, uh, goes to the king. Asks him, give me some time, give me some days uh, that I might interpret the dream. And the king grants it to Daniel. And verse 17 says, Daniel then returned to his house. He explains the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and uh, Azariah. He urges them to plead for mercy, compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, this vision, this in." this dream and its interpretation so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Praise God. God blessed him with this anointing to be able to do it. The king has an issue, has a problem, and Daniel's given the interpretation. Jump way ahead to verse 46. He interprets it uh, to Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before Daniel, pays him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him as a gift. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you are able to reveal this mystery. And he made Daniel ruler of all of Babylon and in charge of all the wise men. So now Daniel's starting to work his way up from uh, a hostage to he's going to become, you know, second, third in charge of this whole empire. This was the first of several dreams that uh, Daniel interprets. And later, uh, as I said earlier, God gives him visions of the future as well. It's powerful to see God working in the life of his servant because he was going to stay faithful to him and not uh, turn to uh, the culture that had captured him. Let's go to the second time that a stance is taken in chapter three. In chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is very temperamental. We don't have a lot of uh, clues of how much time has gone by in this. We know that uh, they had captured Israel for 70 years. This is in that 70 year. It's probably towards the beginning of that, um, of that reign. But Nebuchadnezzar is, is temperamental. I'm not sure um, how he gets to this point, but he decides I'm gonna build a 90 foot tall, nine foot wide uh, image made completely of gold Uh, It was most likely of himself, a statue of himself. And he commands everyone uh, to bow down and worship it at certain times. And the story will tell you a long thing of when they should do it. And if anyone does not worship it, they'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. Well, you probably have heard this story before. When all the nations, all the people of Babylon bow down to worship this golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego choose not to. And word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar that some of the Jewish exiles that he had placed in leadership are refusing uh, to worship this golden image. As a side note, apparently Daniel uh, is the only one exempt, quite possibly, uh, because Nebuchadnezzar knew uh, the power of his God. He's allowing him. You don't have to worship it, uh, but everyone else. We don't know why Daniel's not mentioned here. Perhaps he's you know, in his position. He might be in other countries or doing something else, but he's not uh, listed here. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow when the time comes that all the uh, nations are worshiping this statue, Verse 13 says, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? If you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? whoa, come on, Nebi, you forgot about the God of heaven, the Lord of all the people uh, that described your, interpreted your dream. And, and uh, he's forgotten that. And these three men remind him, and they take a very powerful stance for their God. In verse 16, they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, powerful, uh, powerful scripture, even if God doesn't rescue us. This is something we need to learn in our uh, Christian walk, that not every time, I've, I've tried to tell you this, that life's not easy with Jesus. There's going to be difficult times, but we have to stay strong and have this same stance that Uh, I'm going to pray for healing, but even if God doesn't heal me, I'm still going to uh, stay in my faith with him. Man, if we could uh, take a stance like that, facing death, uh, fiery furnace, uh, kind of a pit they would throw you into, um, and you would pretty much die instantly, we're going to see. And they're standing with it right there. They're facing what could happen to them if they don't deny their God, but they take that stance. So how does the story end? Sorry, let me back up and add this point to it. Even though we don't foresee situations like this in America where uh, our faith is put to a test that if you don't deny your God, we're gonna throw you into a furnace. We don't see that. There are a lot of different other types of gods that try to take idolship in our lives, and there's a lot of different things that um, are are pushed in, in our culture, um, laws, freedoms, uh, that you know ways that we should uh, that we're pushed to change our stance and saying, man, if you don't do this, you don't love me. You don't love America. You need to accept everybody. And we have to uh, take a stand for the Lord and what we believe in and not fall um, fall under the pressures of this culture. So don't allow that to happen in your life. Now, how does the story end? Nebuchadnezzar is mad, furious, And he orders them to be thrown into the furnace. And the two soldiers that grab them and push them in die instantly just from the heat of the furnace coming when they throw uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into it. Wow. But praise the Lord, in verse 24, as soon as they're thrown in, Nebuchadnezzar is probably expecting them to be dead instantly, and he's able to see. I don't know how they had glass or if they had just an opening. What? But Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 24, he jumps to his feet in amazement. Weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? He asks his advisors, didn't we? It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why is there four People in there, and one of them looks like the son of the gods. I see four men walking around in the fire. They're not dead. They're unbound. They're unharmed. And there's a son of the gods. He recognizes this is a moment. That's Jesus, we believe. He recognizes that there is a fourth angel, the son of the gods, probably Jesus. And he's with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, dancing, praising the Lord. Whoo, man. This beats North Dakota in January, right? They're sunbathing and, and chilling. No, they're probably praising the Lord. They're probably amazed. How did we land and we're not dead? Are we in heaven? Oh, this is amazing. And Jesus is like, no, get up there and preach to Nebuchadnezzar what's happening. Jesus will be with you in the fire. Another promise, another promise that God is with you. He could have delivered them to not have to be in the fire. But it's a really important for us to see that we will go through fiery moments in our life and Jesus isn't watching us. God the Father isn't looking and like, wow, well, I wonder how you're gonna respond to this. No, Jesus is with us in it. He's going through it with us. Nebuchadnezzar praises their God. He hasn't quite got to the submitting to him praising his God, he's praising their God, and he decrees that anyone who talks bad about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God will be cut into pieces and their houses turned to rubble. Whoa. Okay, so sometimes I read in the Bible like crazy stuff like that. I appreciate his uh, passion, um, but how about we try, why don't... Um, you try to convert everybody to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and How about you worship the God that you just tried to kill them and they're living? That should change your heart to them. How about instead of turning their houses into rubble, why don't you tear down your golden statue and turn it into rubble? But we don't see that happening. Those are probably a a better idea for Nebuchadnezzar, but he's not to that point. We'll see his, his demise here in a little bit, but, but it's a powerful, powerful stance that these three men take and that we can take as well. We're going to go through the fire. We're going to go through uh, tough times, and there's going to be times in Carrington, where we want to do something that might be uh, against our faith, that might be compromising our faith. And we got to stand for what we believe in. The third, the last stance that we can learn from is up in chapter six. So we're gonna skip over a couple of dreams and wild moments in Nebuchadnezzar's life and his pride causes uh, his fall, he actually, he literally becomes crazy. Uh, he eats grass like an ox. He's driven to the fields. He becomes um, unkept, I guess is a nice word to say. The Bible describes it as his hair grows feathers like an eagle and, his, and claws. So basically his nails, he goes, he goes wacko, okay, because of his pride. His son, uh, Belshazzar, not Daniel's name was turned to Belteshazzar. This is Belshazzar. His son takes over, and his reign did not last long. He was very prideful, probably more than Nebuchadnezzar. And we see the interpretation, the writing on the wall, if you remember that story from Daniel. Daniel interprets that and basically says, like, You're being weighed and measured. God is judging you. He's seeing you. um, And your reign isn't going to last long. And then, in fact, that night, he dies. And Darius the Mede takes over the kingdom. And that's where we find chapter 6 beginning. He continues to see. Darius sees the good in Daniel, and he keeps him in charge. And verse 3, the other leaders don't like Daniel, uh, jealous of uh, what favor he has and the power that he's given. And and verse 3 says, Daniel so distinguished himself among administrators and, and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And at this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, they say, we will never find any basis against him unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I'm going to jump quickly through this story. Basically, they're sneaky, And if they can get Daniel to uh, the same thing as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they can get him to uh, have to decide between worshiping his God or worshiping the God of the the land or the uh, punishment, the consequences that come from not doing that. So they talk to Darius, the king, and they say, wouldn't it be awesome If you made a decree that no one could pray to any other God but you, no one could uh, petition any other human or God besides you, uh, what king is going to say no to that? Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Sign it. Okay, And he wasn't thinking about Daniel or the others, right? Verse 10 says that Daniel learned uh, about this decree, and it didn't change him. He goes home to his upstairs room. The windows are open, and and they face Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees, and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. The men, the satraps and administrators, they find Daniel. They go back to the king. Did you not say that if you didn't do this, that you'd be thrown into a lion's den? And Darius, like, yeah, I said that. And then he said, well, there's a guy named Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah. You probably remember him. He's like your second in charge. Of course, Darius would remember and know Daniel. And they said he is praying to his God. He prays three times a day. In verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed and he was determined to rescue Daniel. And he made every effort until the sun went down to save him. The point of this stance is don't let anything stop your worship. Don't allow any of the tricks of the enemy or the lies of the devil to stop you from serving God wholeheartedly. Stay with him, keep going. King Darius likes Daniel. He realizes what's happened. He can't go back on his word. So I have to put Daniel into a lion's den. And they carry him. I promise I'm almost done. I I recognize the time. And he says, uh, man, Daniel, uh, we're standing here. There's a pit of lions. And I have to put you in there. But may God, and this is verse, oh, I didn't mark it. Uh, It'd be like 17 or 18. May your God, whom you serve continually, that word could be constantly in your Bible. Darius knows that Daniel will always serve God and he'll always pray to him. And this is kind of a way that Darius prays to Daniel's God. He says, may your God rescue you. And at the first light of dawn, the king runs back out to the den. He hollers down there, Daniel, are you alive? Did your God rescue you? And Daniel answers, may the king live forever. God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. Praise the Lord. It's a powerful, powerful moment. All three of these times. We need you to be just like these amazing men. If the worship team would come, we'll close with this. In these trying times, in this tough, in this culture that we're living in where so much of our faith is put into question, so much is uh, coming against us in our faith. We have the freedom to meet here. There's other countries that don't have this freedom but our culture uh, is pressuring us to bend, to conform, to change our beliefs, to, to, uh, to, to contradict what our faith says. I want to encourage you, do not allow yourself to be defiled. Guard what goes into you. You can stand. You've been sitting for a while. We're almost done. Do not put other gods ahead of our God. Do not allow anything to stop your worship. Two verses to end with, and I invite you to pray. Ephesians 6.13, I love the youth are studying the armor of God on uh, Wednesdays. It says in Ephesians 6.13, to stand firm, take up your full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, stand firm. And Jude, we don't quote from Jude very often, but Jude 3 says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Faith in God is not easy. We might have it easy in Carrington. I haven't come across a lot of people that don't like that I'm a pastor, okay? But there's probably gonna be times that I say something or I preach something that's from the word of God that they're not gonna like. And I can't conform the message and try to say, yeah, God, God loves everybody and want everybody's gonna be in heaven. You can do whatever you want. I can't go there. I can't go there, but I can love them and I can show them God's love by taking a stand for him. People don't like wishy-washy uh, people, all right? They want people who will tell them uh, the truth and we need to stand for that truth. So Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts today, Lord. As we look inside ourselves God, are there areas that we need to take a stand for you, Lord? Help us to stand firm in our faith. God, that you show us places in our life that we need to change. God, that we need to solidify with you. If there's something that we're doing that's against your word, help us to stop it. I help us to live for you, Lord. We're living in a day and age it's so easy to compromise our faith, but help us to look like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. God, they would not bow and worship to any other idols. Help us to live like that. God, that we would be strong in our faith. And when we do that, when we're strong in our faith, God, you bless it. You empower us. You inspire us. You give us your Holy Spirit to move. And we will see that we will be blessed. God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I pray a blessing over your people as we leave this day. Help us to just share your love this week, to tell someone about Jesus and the hope that we have uh, from you. Give us boldness and courage. God, we don't have to uh, convert them. We don't have to try to um, save them. We just need to tell them about you. We just need to tell them about Jesus. God, and you speak to them. You, you touch their life, God. Help us to do that this week. Be with us in, in just a powerful way. Whatever our hands find to do, that we glorify you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.